happy new year perfect way to kick off with my guest today cassie who is the founder of new york colon hydrotherapy we talk about all things cleaning out and clarifying with two of my favorite topics as of late demystifying colonics and plant medicine i hope this brings you some clarity around both and can't wait to hear your feedback let's jump in is my guest today um, to talk everything you need is inside, which is ironic because Cassie is, how would you, how, how would you, what is your title exactly? What do you call yourself? Actually, we're, my title is a colon therapist or colon hydrotherapist, which I think is obviously now that you and I will talk deeply about all the different types of therapies and how they work together. I have such a bigger appreciation for the fact that my title is colon therapist. There you go. So uh, Cassie is a colon therapist and I am a huge uh, proponent and fan of colonics. I sort of, um, they're new in my life, probably about a year since I started them. And um, I ended up going to get my first colonic, not with Cassie, with somebody else, but I was in dire pain and I didn't know what was wrong. And it was something that was like, like literally like a knife in my belly. And I've always felt like my digestion was completely connected to anxiety or like what I was eating. And I've gone through phases where I've had candida in my gut and, um, uh, my first colonic changed my life. And then Cassie, when I met Cassie, changed my life even further because Cassie was the first one to really talk to me clearly about plant medicine. So I'm attributing both of those things to you, like schooling me on colonics and introducing me to plant medicine. So first, let's talk gut. First, how did you get into what you do? I actually love that we're talking about this now because I shared with you a little bit more that 14 years after I've been doing this, I'm starting to realize now the truth about how I got into it in the first place. But from on the surface, what happened was that, um, yeah, I had been living like a normal life, um, went to college, was eating college food, had gained like whatever, not freshman 15, but wasn't looking so great. And my skin was always giving me like a lot of upset, and none of that seemed out of the ordinary for me. It was just kind of like, this is life and that's how it is. You just like eat anything and everything you want and these disconnected other things like having terrible skin and having a big bloated belly. Um, just, yeah, that was just life. And then I you cut out. Um, Second, keep going. Okay, um, I was just saying that I left. I graduated school, studying math, going down a very like different road, um, and then started my corporate job doing actuarial science. And I would say about like a month or two into the job, I found a book. Actually, my mom found it in a yard sale called Skinny Bitch. It was like a quick read. I read it on my way to work. And by the time I got to work, that was it. I like had a completely new way of looking at food, the food industry, the world, 
my body, health, my gut, digestion, everything. So that was like one of those extremely pivotal moments and it shifted the way that I thought entirely. So I became vegan that day, started like bought a juicer, everything changed and then um, quickly bought another book that was about raw foods and juicing. And there was a chapter in that book about colonics. So, you know, it basically had like all this information about what you're putting into your body. And then inevitably a chapter about like, oh, that other thing about what's coming out of your body, or in my case, like uh, nothing has been coming out of your body for a couple decades. So you might want to think about that and how that's also extremely relevant to this entire conversation. And so I ran off and got a clinic as soon as I read it. And that was it from my very first clinic, like 20 minutes into it, I guess there was just a click that, that just said like, this is what I want to do. And I shortly after quit my corporate job, everything that I had just like worked a couple years toward um, studying actuarial science and like working toward taking those exams and moving into a whole long career path, dropped it almost immediately. And then, yeah, moved into this whole world. So I started doing clinics full time. Yeah. So with that said, like your first colonic experience, now you're on the other end of it, but like, was there fear? Like, what was the feeling? Because I know that for me, I'd been interested for a long time, but never took the, you know, the plunge because I was scared or embarrassed or anxious or didn't know where to go. And I know that now, like even speaking about colonics has become more mainstream, but there's still such a stigma about obviously laying on a table, like ass exposed with like a hose up you and water shooting into you. And at the same time, I've had so many of them, like there's nothing, there's nothing awkward about it except for like the beginning, which sucks. (laughs) Um, And and, but even Um, not that big of a deal. So what was your first experience like? Yeah. I wish I could remember it, but I have to say that I think it was sort of like the magic formula of everything that I did along the way was that I didn't think about it. It just like all happened. Like there was no thought. If I had thought about it more, I may have like talked myself out of it or talked myself into like more fear or more shame, anxiety, like, yeah, worried about my body, what it looked like to somebody else. Cause I have more of that type of stuff now in certain respects, because I think more. Back then when I was 20, I guess I just didn't think that much. I didn't overthink anything. So I was able to jump into everything and leave my job and open my own business and do all these things and get a clinic and not think about the fact that like, yeah, maybe this is really, really embarrassing. And of course now, like you said, on the other side of it, I would say like a percentage, not most clients, like most clients come in pretty excited the way that I was like, ooh, colonic, I have no idea what this is. I'm excited to find out. Um, Lots and lots of people come in with that attitude and that brings me a lot of joy. Um, Other people who are, like you said, more maybe commonly thinking a bit more about it are extremely nervous or um, maybe I have to talk them off of a ledge for a couple of minutes so that we can get started and they can see that it's obviously no big deal and it's really awesome and they're going to love it and come back really soon. And then I would say to people who are probably over overthinking it, I never meet them because they probably don't ever make it in for the clinic, even though they may need it the most because that same mindset mentality creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of gut health problems too. Yeah. I mean, which is amazing because I think talking about like brain gut connection, like all of the anxiety I think that I carry is in my gut. And like, I just know that how I operate, you know, I'm feeling bloated or uncomfortable. It's like, I feel it in my belly first. So, um, 
another thing with colonics that I, you know, I would assume, but I would love you to speak to it. Like what's your ratio men to women clients? I see a lot of men to be fair, we're in New York city. So I see a lot of everybody, which is really cool. And I feel so lucky to have that experience. I see so many men, men who are like, I work in Chelsea. So obviously there's a gay population, but that's not most of the men that I see by any means. A lot of the men are like, businessmen or artists or basketball players professionally or garbage men like it is every single person because as I like to say um if you have a colon you're a good candidate for getting a colonic so it doesn't discriminate um there are probably maybe like 35 percent men that I see so a decent amount and what age would you advise starting? Like, what's to what's the 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 age that's not too young? And I guess it goes up to whatever age. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. Um, well, I would say that I started getting clinics and then jumped into it full time professionally when I was twenty twenty one, and I feel really lucky that I started looking at all of this and just moving into a new space at such a young age. And I have plenty of clients who are in high school and college. So I just feel like, wow, so happy for them that this is something that they're addressing at a young age because it's only going to get, you know, deeper and more piled on as time passes. So, and then um, if, you know, I have occasionally people who are calling about uh, a child who's really struggling, I would say for the kid to use an enema and to really focus on nutrition because the colonic, while it's not harmful to them, might be a little traumatizing psychologically. Um, so yeah, I would say there's no like age limit to start working on gut healing. There are definitely people who I've met along the way who have used colon cleansing for really, really young kids. And I even gave my baby nieces when they were really so young and having colic, I gave them enemas. I was like, let me take them for my sister, please. I got this. Or I've helped dogs and cats with enemas too. And those have been really amazing as well. So I don't think there's an age limit on starting to like, well, really move water through your intestines to help clean stuff out. And so with that said, like talk about like old stuff, like I've learned through my own experience, you know, like the stuff that's stored in your body is years and years old, right? It's like, you know, um, so like speak to that. Like, I would love to know, you know, what that looks like, like the procedure you get there, you put on the robe, you like put the tube in and the water just flows. Like there's, that's, I mean, speak to that because I think I want to distill this idea of um, the fear around colonics, particularly in entering a new year and um, potentially like cleaning out people literally. Totally. Yeah. It's a nice way to actually hit the physical old stuff because it is connected to all kinds of emotional old stuff. And what it looks like is as disgusting as you would imagine, which is what we want. We want it to be as gross as possible. So the actual experience of coming in for a clinic is really, um, it's so simple and it sounds like, I, I explain it to people all the time when they're making an appointment and I think it sounds surprisingly chill and easy and that's because it is. Um, you'll come in and you're, un- you're undressed from the waist down 
completely. So if you want to keep your shirt on, that's pretty typical, and even socks, and then you're going to lay on the massage table in a fetal position on your left side, so you're quite comfortable. And then there's just a sheet covering up over your waist, so you're not even exposed. And then if I'm your therapist, I would insert a tiny little speculum that has a two-inch insert. It's really quite small. So this little piece goes in, not painful in the slightest. Um, and then water is falling from gravity. So there's water coming into your body. So imagine there um, is just an irrigation system. There's a tube of water, clean water, and then there's a waste tube. And then we're attaching that, that uh, speculum, which has two openings. So one for the clean water to come in and one for the waste to come out that's going into you. So you are the tube in between the other two tubes. So now you're connected to a bigger irrigation system. So you have your own and we just connected you to one that's much bigger and deeper. So you wouldn't be able to access that normally. And then throughout the session, there's a lot of abdominal massage that's very helpful um, to help push the waste out, gas pockets out, and the water is going to continue. Um, usually we use about 20, 25 gallons of water. So the water is continuously just moving through, kicking up, hydrating, breaking apart things that are in there that are five feet deep into your colon, on and on and on and on and on, which allows us to get much deeper and much more because the process is kind of taking a little while and it's continuously working on stuff that's moving out very easily and other stuff that's really not willing to budge that's quite stuck or there are massive gas barriers and pockets that are really hard to move out as well sometimes um, depending on the person's diet and everything else yeah so with that said you and then afterwards um go ahead go ahead oh i was just say so it usually takes about 45 minutes to an hour or so and then afterwards um usually like 97 percent of the time you just get up you may or may not have to go to the bathroom afterwards and you can go on with your day normally. So you can hit a box and flow class. You can really move on with your life. Yeah. And so with that said, you, you mentioned that's it. Yeah. People generally like schedule it. No, we're, you mentioned mm -hmm. diet. We're talking yeah. holidays and um, when you bought this book and your diet changed and raw food and vegan and et cetera, like I, I'm, and you see everything, but um, you know, clients that come in have who have like a very toxic diet or a lot of alcohol, a lot of red meat, a lot of gluten, a lot of sugar. Like, what do you see as the root cause of a lot of discomfort? Or like the dairy, it seems to be a huge one. Go ahead. Yeah, obviously, there are a lot of different things that you can eat, as you just listed a few that can create a lot of inflammation, gas, and build up in your body um, that are creating just generalized discomfort um, of all different sorts. And when you see it in a clinic, a lot of the time it's extremely gassy. Um, so you're saying specifically which foods? Well, they're obviously, I would just, I'm generalizing, but the things that seem to create the most irritation are dairy or too many eggs or obviously processed food, alcohol. People respond differently um, to these types of things. But yeah, too much meat. You could have like so much gas, you wouldn't even believe it. Because if you think it's think about it, it's not moving. So it's sitting there and it's rotting and it's fermenting and it's putrefying. So it's creating so much gas and it is so much more uncomfortable. And when people worry about or hear about a colonic that was like so crampy or so uncomfortable, that's really because there's so much gas in there that's making it feel that way. So it's not the colonic itself, it's the client. And the client will always be the variable. So my clients who are like, Oh, I've been eating so healthy. I'm really, really excited for my clinic because I know it'll be 
extremely comfortable and much, much deeper. Whereas other people sometimes come in and say, I'm terrified for my clinic because I've been eating like actual trash and it's going to be a shit show. Like it's going to be horrible. Like it might be just over the top, uncomfortable or whatever. So it's totally fine to come in in any state. I always say like, just come, especially if you are eating a diet that you know needs to change a lot the clinic can really give people an opportunity to make those changes because when you're feeling bloated and you're feeling bad all the time you don't have the motivation to make those changes so the clinic can often be a jump start for so many people when they're like I want to eat healthy in preparation for my clinic but I just am not doing it I usually just tell people like do your best and if you don't do anything we'll still work with it and no matter what we're dealing with we'll deal with it and you'll be much, 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 much better off and much easier to make good choices afterwards. And that's always true. Yeah. I think like from my own experience, I mean, I've certainly like, I eat clean, I would say 80% now, like 90% of the time, but like being in the food industry and working with chefs, like there was a lot of alcohol, a lot of red meat, whatever over the years. And this was before I started getting colonics. But even in the past year, when I felt toxic and needed to like clean myself out and go get a colonic, it was a totally different experience than a colonic just like as a form of regularity, like to just because it's been a month or two months and it's like, it feels really good to like, to start to get clean from a clean place, you know, when you're eating more cleanly. And, and I certainly, I'm super sensitive, but like, I certainly recognize like if I eat red meat once every two months, like I feel it. If I'm drinking too much sparkling water or chewing sugarless gum or I'm out and it's a lot of salt or a lot of sugar or a lot of fat, like I feel it in my gut right away. Um, And I think it's just about being really, really cognizant of what you put in doesn't always come out. Mm-hmm. you know so. usually not yeah so I was just talking to a client yesterday about that which is like okay now that you are experiencing the other side of your diet well she was saying that she was she felt like after her first clonic it really had her thinking differently like oh everything I'm putting in is not coming out and think about it in that way like what can I put in that is even capable of coming out that has the capacity to come out that can move out and to what you were saying just a second ago actually said a couple of things but one thing um what I had said at the beginning which is that my title is colon therapy I always at this point in my life relate what I do so much to therapy and to your point with therapy if you come you know, you haven't gone in a long time and you come in a crisis, it's going to take multiple sessions for you to even like tell the therapist, get them up to speed so you can really start working through the crisis because they haven't seen you in such a long time. They don't even know what you got you to the crisis and all these different pieces of the story. And the same thing is true if you, or sorry, if you have been going to therapy every week or however often that you go to keep you kind of like in a good space, and then you run into a crisis, you may not run into as big of a crisis and it will be so much easier to deal with and take less time to address. The same thing with the clonics, as you said, if you only come in a crisis, we're dealing with a, we're gonna get you really like heading towards deep healing. We're gonna get you hopefully out of crisis mode. And if you're coming on a regular basis, you may not run into that crisis in the first place, or if you do, it may be much smaller and we'll be able to work with it so 
much more easily and continue you in the healing direction in a more fundamentally like long-standing space in that space. And so with that said, just like talking about diet one more time, like I know that like, you know, raw or like highly Mm. plant-based or like, you know, high fiber vegetables, foods, like these are all good things, I assume. And like a lot of water-based foods, but like when it comes to protein sources, nuts, beans, like what do you recommend if you're going to start shifting from a lot of heavy proteins to more of a plant-based diet, like from a colon Mm. colonic perspective, all like, you know, health. So with, when you're changing your diet, you never want to shock your system um, because the reaction could be very unpleasant and you have to um, give it just like a little bit at a time. So a lot of the times people are like, oh, I've been eating so healthy and I feel horrible. That, that may A, be unsustainable and B, you may just have jumped in too quickly. So if you're somebody who's eating a very heavy meat-based diet and you never eat legumes, lentils, beans, stuff like that, then you don't want to then start eating a cup and a half of beans every day because you're going to feel like they're the cause of all this gas and indigestion, when in fact, they can actually be really helpful and healing, but not if you do it that way. So generally, there's like a quarter cup rule when you're introducing something where you can start with like a quarter cup. So I'm going to maybe start with like a quarter cup of lentils or a quarter cup of quinoa. If these are things that you aren't really eating too much of, nuts and seeds can be another one too. Like they're extremely healthy and nutritious, but they're also really easy to overeat. So you might blame them for your problems when really maybe it was just that you overdid it. So you need to start with smaller portions and maybe also stay in like a normal portion zone, which can be, I personally find it can be hard to do because, you know, I like them so much, but um, yeah, so that would be my recommendation for like going slowly and starting with maybe the quarter cup or the third cup rule, just starting with smaller portions so that you don't think, well, I don't do well with beans because usually that's not the case, but that is usually the takeaway that people come with. And people say that about vegetables too. I don't do well with raw vegetables or I and maybe you don't, but like maybe you do. And it was just like you jumped in, you went from nothing or very little to mostly that and it felt terrible because your body wasn't used to it. Right. And, and, uh, with that said too, you know, like starting slower, whatever, I mean, and therapy correlation in parallel, I was laying on Cassie's table. And the first time I came into your space was just after I left Miami from three months in quarantine. And I felt like toxic, but like toxic to me is like really not toxic. <laughs> toxic to me is just like eating a little more sugar than usual or like a little one and a half glasses of wine because again, my body's super sensitive and you know, um, I'm honed in on how I feel cause I'm so, um, I'm so active and also like so efficient so that when I'm not, it's because I had a half a glass of wine too much. Like it affects me that much. Anyways, I'm laying on Cassie's table and it was like an automatic magnet, magnetic connection of just like, like I saw you, you saw me and we could speak the same language pretty quickly. And we end up talking about, uh, life experience and health and fitness and, entrepreneurship and therapy and family and plant medicine. And Cassie mentioned this 5-MeO-DMT, or he called it DMT. And I, I didn't know what it was, but you you were like, 
sworn by it. You were like, this is so great. This is because I was like, have you done ayahuasca? I was asking a, a ton of questions because it seemed as though you've, you've, you've been around the block. You have experience and you have experience not from a place of need, from a place of like seeking to learn more like totally different place. And again, I, I related to that. And um, you said DMT and I didn't know what you talked, you were speaking about it first. And then I realized that uh, about a year and a half ago, somebody else mentioned the toad medicine. So I wanna hear about your journey, what brought you to plant medicine um, and the trajectory of that and how it has impacted your life and your practice and um, what you do, what you don't. It's a good question. I do think I need to meditate on it as well. But just um, the first thing that's coming up is that obviously there's like just a lot of excitement around it because it's it's just been such an amazing and like light filled, not always light filled at all, but I just, it opened, it's just like an opening of my whole entire universe in all these really exciting ways. So I think I just love like so many things about life so much that's just my personality so when I get to introduce to something new like a clinic or like um you know a medicine I'm like wow this is the coolest thing ever I'm having a deeper experience of life so that I think that just like on the surface level feels like just very magnetically attractive for me um so at first I would say this is like maybe 10 years ago at this point one of my clients who I'll see today um she's just like a really close and amazing person so when she introduced me to ayahuasca I was just interested because she was doing it and liked it a lot and so I checked it out and it was tough actually it was really really tough I, um, I guess in my mind, I was like, wow, this is a really challenging experience and I'm down for it, but I don't really like it that much. But, and I also remember thinking like, why would anybody do this to themselves? And then I did it again the very next day. So, so wait, there was something about it that I was like, okay, this with that said, mm. though, ayahuasca in general, what is ayahuasca? Like, and what is it compared to the other things you've done? So for anybody that doesn't know what ayahuasca is, it mm-hmm. is, go ahead. Oh, ayahuasca is like, a, I think it's almost described as a tea and it's two different plants that are brewed together and you drink it. It's not a ton of volume. Maybe it's like a two ounces or so. It's always different depending on who you do it with and where. Um, but it's it's not a lot, but the taste is so bad. It's really repulsive. It makes like every bone in your body kind of shake. It's really like a visceral experience. So you drink it. It's generally, but not always, with in a circle of other people. Um, and there's a shaman, so like a plant medicine kind of um, person who may be playing music or uh, yeah just facilitating and you drink it it usually lasts for the whole entire night so you take it late I, we always would take it at like 11 p.m or so and then maybe it would go through the whole night until the morning um, and it's a psychedelic it also releases DMT, which is something that a molecule that we were just talking about in your brain, which can be um, like a, a way that you naturally release DMT is right before when you hear somebody say, um, 
oh, my life flashed before my eyes when they had a near-death experience, that's you releasing DMT naturally. So, um, DMT is like in all these plants and animals all over the earth. Um, so it is, it's like, a, it's, it's a, ayahuasca is very visual. Uh, a lot of people get sick, maybe throw up or have to go to the bathroom. So that's another connection to like the purge, right? The like energetic purge that's very connected to something physical, which is also colonic space uh, territory. Just like you're releasing something very physically. It's a kind of an integral part of a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies. And um, I just had some really beautiful experiences on my first time. I remember like feeling love so deeply and then having a realization that I'm not sure if I've ever felt love ever in my life before that moment. Mm. And um, I'm pretty sure that like might be true. I think I maybe like have was really protecting myself from deeper emotions. And this like completely. And um, all these pathways. And I think like, I mean, plant medicine in general, a lot of it speaks to like shedding ego. So the idea of protecting yourself or not allowing for love, it's a lot of the ego, the protection. And I think when you drink ayahuasca or you smoke DMT, um, there's something about those experiences. I've never done ayahuasca. I don't know that I ever will. It, it seems like it might not be for me, but never say never with that mm-hmm. said, um, <laughs> with that said, my experience with DMT and now MDMA and psilocybin is just this complete rid riddance of the fear, the ego, the, you know, the protective shell, um, all of that life has sort of cloaked upon us that we're carrying. So I think what, I mean, what I saw in you when I first met you was like a joie de vivre, a passion for life, so similar to me and a want and a need to learn more and dig deeper. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like that want and need was fed so much by all of these psychedelic experiences, as you described, like slowly but surely removing some of the walls that I didn't know were up. Like I remember learning about having walls like to protect you from other people that you can't see but are very much there and I didn't really get past it even remotely as a concept until I experienced these walls that I didn't know were there starting to come down yeah with that said like I mean even recently so DMT you introduced me to DMT or you were the second person that mentioned it but you were the first person I actually heard and within two days on a random like chain of events the person that you mentioned that i work with who's never in town happened to be in town that day getting back so you know and they they also say when when the medicine calls you like you answer but like when you you can't reach for these things you really have to be ready so it's ironic i never really it never resonated with me until it did and it was through your eyes because you also you really took the stigma away from it in a funny way because dmt apparently a lot of people say it's like the most extreme. Mm. So when I spoke to friends of mine and I said, you know, I'm doing this, don't talk me out of it. From their experience, they're like, you're crazy. You're going like, you're going all the way left field, start here. And I'm like, I'm good. Because I think it was also like, I trusted you and I trusted myself. And it was, it was that tip of the iceberg, like jumping into that and like scratching a bit of the service killing surface, killing a little bit of the ego to be like, okay, there's more here. I want to dig deeper. So in your, in your experience, you started with ayahuasca and then what was like, what came, like what unfolded? Yeah, so I think the ayahuasca shamans, it was a man and woman couple, 
they shared a story about how they got into the medicine world when they were in Amsterdam and they, um, and Amsterdam mushrooms are illegal and they sell them all over the place and that they had did that together. And that just like light bulb in my mind, I was like, I have to do mushrooms in Amsterdam like these people. So then the next thing I knew, I went to Amsterdam with my husband and we did mushrooms. And I remember for how many years did I just say that was the first best day of my entire life and then I've had like I cannot even tell you how many best days after that and most of them were mushroom days like I love all the days like I even love like I can't even tell you how many days of the week I'm like I had the best day ever so I really feel that way all the time but these mushroom days are like just beyond so I just really like changed my um, experience where then after that I started like traveling all over the world just trying to do mushrooms most beautiful places so I can connect with nature on the deepest possible level and feel like the most yeah connected to the earth and um, natural beauty and all of that and just like my husband and myself and stuff like that so um, and then after that yeah so, I mean, I would say like this medicine, it brings you closer. I think it brings you closer to yourself. It brings you closer to nature. It's something that's being spoken about much more widespread. And I don't want to like gloss over how um, sacred it is as, you know, although it is being, you know, I don't know, idealized in a lot of settings. I think for me, it changed my life, completely changed my life in a way that um, I can't yet verbalize but internally and through you know close friends i can but i'm still trying to organize in my brain what's what and i also know that there's more to discover there mm -hmm. um because we all have more and there's reasons why we block things out of our psyche etc but for you um when you like opened up this like new world it has become part of your life correct Okay, so I was going to say, actually, now I remember that after like a few of those life-changing mushroom trips, I had a moment where I was standing at the top of a mountain and I just had a thought that was like, I need to go to therapy. And then my other next thought was like, why would I need to go to therapy? I'm obviously totally fine. There's This is like even looping back into why you would want a colonic when you feel like, why would I want a colonic? I'm totally fine. Or my boyfriend like eats whatever he wants and he's totally fine. So he'll never get a clinic. Things that I hear all the time. And I'm like, oh, cause you don't know you're not totally fine. You don't have a clue. So I had this moment that was like, go get a therapist. And I was like, really? I think I'm good. I don't need one. And then I just listened to it for whatever reason I did. And the very next day, um, I had an incredible client who is an insanely amazing therapist refer me to her therapist. And I've been seeing him for the last like four years or five years or whatever it is. And at that moment, and then just even from there, what he, what he said to me on my very first visit was that, what I was expressing to him very clearly that I didn't know that I was expressing was that mushrooms and ayahuasca had given me glimpses of the range of emotions, which I had shut off from a very young age. So as soon as I started to tap in to having the experience of more emotions, I wanted more. So that's that like, yeah, that excitement for life is obviously coming from having a much more broad spectrum of feeling alive, aliveness. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's sort of where it leads you, I believe, but I also think that it can be misused. And I've been wondering if you've ever had a bad trip. 
I personally don't even like relate to the concept of having a bad trip because if I was going through something really difficult, I would appreciate it too in that space. But I do recommend a book. I don't know if you've read it or not called Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan or Changing Your Mind. He talks about like more about set and setting about how to use these things responsibly and in therapeutic settings. And I think for anyone who's not sure, this would be a really smart place to start because it it is something that you I intuitively, I think, used responsibly because I'm so... I consider them to be so sacred that I would never do them with people who I didn't feel deeply close to, or I wouldn't do them in a place that I wouldn't feel extremely safe and free. Things like that wouldn't cross my mind. So if for somebody else, they did it in a place or with a person or people, then I do think that having a bad trip would be an option. Whereas I never feel that I've had a bad trip because I would never let those things enter my space or as they say, set and setting. Yeah, I think I agree. I think, but for me, I mean, everything's mindset. And I guess because I went into my experiences, which have been few and far between, but there will be more, but I've always gone into my experience with like bright eyes and bushy tail, mm-hmm. <laughs> like typically how I enter things just like ready or, and like, you know, reconnect to my body, open my heart without um, any stigma. And the one time I did the first time, so following my DMT experience a week later, after I spoke to you, I did um, psilocybin and MDMA. And I didn't even know what I was tip, like doing, but it was in a setting, it was with a shaman, it was a sound bath, it was beautiful. It also, that was the night that I, I really learned a piece of my past that had been missing in my puzzle, like really deeply. But when I first took the medicine, I was like ready to go. It was like taking too long and the anxiety started and I had the worst imagery of people coming in and guns and I had to talk myself out of it because for a moment it went dark and I was going to get up and scream because I was scared. And it was literally just my first time really with psychedelics beyond DMT. DMT was one-on-one. This was a group and um, my brain didn't know how to respond at first and it right away went into flight or flight. And then I literally had to breathe into it and it was, it ended up just being love even through a lot of fucking pain and horrible memories. Um, but thank God for that. And I would also say in that experience, I learned that typically, well, I learned a lot, but that I do have PTSD and typically with PTSD, they don't give psilocybin, they give just MDMA. So going forward, I don't, I don't know that I will take them together. Um, I love what you say about mushrooms. And I think I would enjoy that in a different setting outside and colors and, but like for the purpose I'm using now, um, or therapy, like for therapeutic purposes in MDMA therapy, it has changed the way I see myself, my world, my life in so many, um, in such mass capacity. And I know that like I introduced you to, to the therapist who are lovely. And um, I want to speak to, to that, like as compared to your other experiences. Sure. And also I was um, just thinking that those therapists that you introduced me to specifically said that they also offer psilocybin therapy, but the way that they do it is that they work people through MDMA therapy up until a point because MDMA is like a deep diving. It's a digging internal thing. And then once you've done enough, like drudging the shit to the surface and dealing with it, 
Um, then you do the psilocybin therapy because that's the more open and expansive part where you like experience the world, the universe and your relation to it. So, um, I do think that you're intuitively on the right track with that as well. Um, but I loved my experience with, um, these therapists and I really appreciate, um, I feel extremely great to you for grateful to you for introducing me to them. It was, um, (laughs) <laughs> I want to say it was like the most transformational, most like um, long lasting experience where after the fact, I'm still feeling like um, the most like aftermath from it. Whereas with ayahuasca or bufo or mushrooms, like the aftermath does not, I'm not aware of it afterward. It may or may not be doing something after the fact, but I'm certainly not aware of it. And in this case, I was feeling like for days, things were continuing to like unfold and unravel. I definitely, my, uh, I've told you, but for anyone listening, I was specifically interested in MDMA therapy, A, because I'm interested because I have a pulse and I think it's for probably anyone with a brain and there's always healing available. That's sort of my approach to life, clearly. But um, also, you know, it occurred to me that I have no memories of my childhood and MDMA can really bring, help to bring memories. And similarly to you, I did discover, like, not, not terribly specifically, but I definitely discovered that I have um, far more of a traumatic path than I'm aware of. And I'm probably not seeking these things for absolutely no reason. My subconscious must really like be so interested in healing and seeing more than what I'm currently have available. But my experience was so profound um, and I was disappointed, which is so funny. I was disappointed that I didn't get to see more and do more healing. And that's the, like that part is even more meaningful than anything else because it means that my brain and of course I've talked to my therapist about this a lot is not willing to show me more because it's unsafe so even having that experience of not being able to see more is so much information right there I mean, that goes back to ego and protection and the cloak that we wear and the boundaries that we carry. And I think so specifically MDMA, it releases uh, serotonin, oxytocin or serotonin? Okay. And um, which makes you feel safe to remember, to release, to let go. And like, you know, the love drug, whatever. That's why when it's in settings, it's a party drug and everybody's happy. But I didn't know this. And I was listening to a podcast that Rick Doblin, who's the head of MAPS, Mm -hmm. um, which is the organization that is like very focused on publicizing MDMA. He was on Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop and mentioned that he's, I mean, he's been working on this for 30 years to try and legalize this, but MDMA started, it was first created as a therapeutic drug and then the FDA banned it. So the reason why it was developed first was as a medicine for MDMA, for PTSD. And for whatever reason, um, and it was a great podcast, if you're interested, Goop, Rick Doblin, um, they banned it. And so for 30 years, he's been fighting to finally get this legalized. And they finally raised $30 million. And now it's finally in stage three trials to to bring this mainstream. And they're doing a ton of work all over the world in Israel with uh, PTSD soldiers. Um, I mean, 
everywhere. There's ketamine clinics. Ketamine's a, a different drug, and it's not plant-based, but opened in Austin, and one just opened in New York. So there's the reason for all of this um, medicine, if you will, I believe, is like we really we're really seeking healing now. There's a lot of broken is the wrong word, but hurt. You know, there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of two-dimensional behavior. Everything's a facade. And I think that if we don't do our work to like really dig deep and look in, be it into our diet, our colon, our digestion, into our psyche, our subconscious, our our familial history, then we're going to keep living these traumatized existence decade after decade um, instead of just like facing ourselves. And I think going back to what the purpose of my purpose, I believe like this idea of everything you need is inside, like really digging into where the disconnection lies. And um, yeah. I think that we connected on that. And um, uh, I guess huge proponent of plant medicine, huge proponent of colonics. Um, tell me more. I was going to say too, like part of my perspective about clonics that I think is so special and unique and what we're and ties into what we're talking about and is obviously like yogic philosophy and everywhere else is really in the letting go. So when you said that everything we really need is inside, um, we also need to let go of so much of what's there so that we can experience all of that, right? So like in the clinic, I love to think about it, like people are coming in, like maybe if you're going for any number of different types of treatments, you're generally going to get something or if you're gonna like buy something for Christmas or whatever you're doing, you're trying to get more, right? You're like adding to this the thing or when people often ask me like, oh, what's your favorite like supplement or what should I buy? What can you sell me that I can buy? And I'm like, actually what we're doing here is quite the opposite where you came here to not get stuff, but to get rid of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so like the practice of like less is more having like not needing more, but needing to like work through what we already have and let go of that in order to have so much more of what's already there. Yeah. And then really trusting yourself, like the, everything you need is inside. It's totally relate. Also like your tools, your answers, like why the behaviors that we carry, the habits that we have, which are either good for us or bad for us. Like that it, it, it stems, it stems from something that it's rooted in something and, and really getting to know yourself, I believe along the way. And I think two things, both plant medicine and colonics are such beautiful tools to, to let go to let go. That's right. Yeah. I think that they do. They're all like very much um, intertwined. And then there's like the other piece of the lifestyle, which is like adding tools like to support that or the way that I see like nutrition and the diet part is like, what's going to support this? What's like giving to it? it's mindful. It's exciting. You're like getting to utilize so many amazing gifts that naturally exist and put the, all of these pieces of the puzzle together. So I really see it as like just exciting, fun, creative. Um, yeah. Like my shopping experience for produce is like a joy. 
right? And I just think it's so great. It's fun. There's so many amazing and exciting things that just like live in the produce department or in the bulk bin section. And I want other people to have that experience too, because it's not a drag and getting a clinic is not scary and doing plant medicine can be scary, but um, you're really trying to work through some of that dark stuff or in the clinic kind of mindset like get rid of that shit so that you can like yeah live a more fulfilled and better life yeah I think a similar like the fear that you carry whether it's to sit on a clonic table to you know do MDMA therapy or psilocybin it's it's the same anxiety and it lives in your brain it lives in your heart it lives in your gut and you're carrying this fear so I think these are these these are really tools that if you you have to enter with the right intention and you'll get not necessarily what you'll look you're looking for but it won't be a fearful experience it will be a learning experience which i think um is what we're all here for i believe Um, oh and one more thought on that too and i think that totally nailed it but one more thought on that too is i have uh, it's hard to not notice that over the years of working with clients that the people who regardless of their diet and then everything else, putting that to the side, it does count and have have this, like, it does, you know, play a part into the whole picture, definitely. But even more so, as you can imagine, is the mindset. So when people come in and they're extremely nervous or very, like, um, uptight personalities and very much in your brain, then it's so much harder for them to release. Even if they eat the perfect diet, they're like, but I eat the most perfect diet. Why is this so stuck in here? Is because they don't, like they can't let go with their mind and like let their body do the work and take over. So half of my job can with those people be to just get them to laugh or occasionally like talk about something really dark that's going on in their life, a boyfriend or their mom or something that makes them upset so that they can actually start letting go. Um, and the people who are just very easygoing. Yeah, I know. It really, really, it really, it's like, that's when I'd pull out my like real deep therapy tools because I'm like, hmm, why aren't you letting go? Do you need to relax? Like, can you, can we go somewhere either emotionally where you can release something and then let your body start releasing too? Cause it's like clockwork. If somebody's like not really releasing and I'm like, Hmm, what's going on? Why has it been like 20 minutes and nothing's happened? And I'm like, how's your mom? And then all of a sudden, like psh, everything is exploding out. And then maybe they're even crying. I'm like, okay. Uh, well, clearly this work, Miss Kat. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that I met you and I feel like we were meant to meet. And um, where can we find you? Oh, Instagram, thank you so much. Address, like how, how, do, how do people find you? Okay, so um, our website is colon therapy NYC, nice and straightforward. And the Instagram is have a regular day. Um, and we're located on 7th Avenue and 26th Street in Manhattan in Chelsea and would love, love, love to see as many new faces as possible to help kind of spread this higher level of living. Totally. Clean, clear. Um, yes. Eyes wide open, heart wide open. Um, thank you. Happy. Thank you. And the perfect way to start the new year 